that you uh, have joined us this morning. Our Bibles are open to Romans chapter 8. We're talking about salvation from start to finish. We are led there by uh, the text of Romans. And this morning we're going to be looking at God's call on our life in salvation, an effective call, an effectual call that completes its purpose. The Bible gives glimpses of eternity and concludes with a picture of endless life with our great God. That's how the Bible ends. Those in Jesus Christ live in His presence forever and ever and ever, saved to sin no more. The life that God gives is called in Scripture eternal life. And it is a gift to be received by faith. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We cannot earn it. We do not deserve it. And apart from God's grace in our life, we would never even be interested in it. It's a gift to be received. It's a present possession now. You don't get eternal life when you die. It's something that is received by faith in this life and a present possession that defines our life. And it's also a future hope. The Bible also takes us back, from our perspective anyway, to eternity past and speaks of God's redemptive plan before the foundation of the world. In Ephesians 1.4, it speaks of God choosing the believer in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In Revelation 13.8, we read of a perishing world, a rebel world, whose names have not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb. In our present study, in Romans 8, 29, and 30, it takes us back to the beginning of God's redemptive plan. In the context, Romans 8 is a chapter of comfort and confidence. The Apostle Paul provides this golden chain of salvation with five links in it, and you see it in the text. God's foreknowledge, God predestinated, God called, God justified, and God glorified, will glorify every believer. These verses take us to eternity past, where we learn of our salvation being on the heart of God before creation and time. So these doctrines of grace really flow from eternity to eternity and provide yet another reason why God should receive our greatest worship because He has no equal and our salvation is all of Him. So this morning, I want to set our attention on this third link, God's effectual call to sinners, to Himself. There is a God moving in this world, and I want to make a distinction a little later between a general call, which happens regularly in the gathering of the church, the gospel call, and what should be happening in your life and in mine as we talk to others to engage them with the gospel uh, as God calls in salvation. But what we're looking at here this morning is a distinction, and I want to make that point uh, in, from Scripture, of God's effective call. So the first two, foreknowledge and predestination, are concerned with God's eternal counsel or past determinations. The last two are concerned with what God has done, justif justification and glorification, that's heaven, that's next week. So God's foreknowledge speaks to Him intimately knowing beforehand. 
This is not a forecast of who's going to believe. It's not God looking down the corridors of time saying, oh, he's, he's going to believe, she's going to believe. No, this is God having foreknowledge in a covenant love situation where He sets His love upon us in a covenant binding love to bring, him, to, to, bring to Himself in redemption. Predestination brings up the doctrine of election. It's throughout the Bible in one form or another. God before creation in which He chooses some people to be saved, not on account of any foreseen merit, but only because of His sovereign good pleasure and grace that God selected out of the human race foreseen as fallen, no one deserving of His redemption or salvation, and yet has extended His grace to some to bring them to Himself through the finished work of Jesus Christ. This has brought up the conversation, well, what about double predestination? What about that? And I, I indicated as a point of review that I think that's a bad term because it communicates, it miscommunicates uh, God's dealing with the elect and with those he passes over. He's not working in anyone rebellion or unbelief. We do that for free. And someone may be raising their hand right about now, but what about free will? I would just strongly urge you not to place your hope and trust in, God, in free will. And by free will, I mean this. And it's important that you understand this, that we do what we want to do when we want to do it. From every decision in our life, no one can force that. No one can force the will of man. And so you came here this morning because you chose to do so. And we live our entire life making decisions. God created us to do that. However, having the ability to do whatever we want to do when we want to do it does not mean that we have the power or ability to do what we ought to do, namely what God commands. And if we live for a thousand millenniums, and our only hope is in our free will apart from the grace of God, we would, never, we would never go to Him. Some see salvation as, well, God did this, and now all I need to do is go and pull the lever. What I'm wanting to argue from Scripture is we would never pull the lever. Not if we take seriously how Scripture describes us. Without Jesus Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Without Jesus Christ, we are a bondage to our, uh, to our sinfulness. And no one who is in bondage, Jesus said, can walk in the truth. So these are hard things to think about, but important things to think about. And we go back to that statement that Paul made in 1 Corinthians, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So I would also argue that no one is saved in violation of their will. And the key is, who makes us willing? What's our hope that we would ever be willing to follow Jesus Christ? And that is the miracle of salvation. So, we come to this calling, this calling. Our Baptist faith and message, our statement of faith says, election is a gracious purpose of God according to which He regenerates, justifies, sanctifies, and glorifies sinners. It's consistent with the free agency of man and comprehends all the means in connection with the end. That means that God gives means for Him to gather, for Him to accomplish His purpose, and that is namely that you and I walk in a manner worthy of our calling and live 
empowered by the Holy Spirit, and are faithful in preaching and proclaiming the gospel. So any view of election, predestination that somehow minimizes our need to be obedient to any command that God has given to us, I rule completely out of order. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about using the means of grace that God has given to us and the commands that He's given to us to live the Christian life. That's how He accomplishes His purpose in this world. There will be paradoxes. There will be doctrines that we must hold in tension. There are many of them in the Bible. So in a real sense, when we read the Bible, it ought to blow our minds. But be very careful for allowing it to screw you into the ground like an auger. That's not God's intentions. Some things just need, need to be left where they are. We're to live by faith. And in these paradoxes of the Christian life, God is sovereign and we're responsible. And so let's move forward in obedience. Now, let's talk about this calling of God because we've been in eternity past and now we're, we're coming to where this plan of God manifests itself in real time. That we are living in history in a time where God is calling men and women across this globe, boys and girls across this globe to a saving relationship. Those whom God calls not only hear His call, but actually respond to it by turning around and by believing Jesus Christ, evidenced by their lives committed to Him. Calling and justification. Those whom He called, He also justified, declared righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. This justification is a judicial act, and we spent a lot of time in chapters 4 and 5 on that, and I won't spend as much time here But I do want to talk about this calling. Calling is the point at which the things determined beforehand in the mind and counsel of God pass over into time where you and I hear the gospel and we come alive by the work of God and we rise and follow the Lord. It is a work of God. And so when Jesus said, unless you're born again, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God, you cannot enter it. We need to be born again. Unless you're born again of the Spirit, it's all uh, for naught. And so how does the Spirit work in this world? It empowers the preaching of God's Word. It it empowers the gospel. So I want to set my thoughts this morning into three statements. The first would be that for you and I to remember, Romans 8 is a context of comfort and confidence. Romans 8, this Mount Everest in Scripture, is comfort and, and confidence is on the mind of Paul in this inspired chapter. Uh, uh, Comfort and confidence is the context. These doctrines of grace are presented in a chapter marked by assurance, marked by comfort, marked by confidence. Prove it, okay? Uh, Verse 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those in Jesus Christ. The indwelling Holy Spirit, which is a major theme in chapter 8, the Spirit of God dwelling within the believer. He mentions adoption. In verses 13 through 17, that we're adopted into God's family. Think of that, friends. In salvation, of all the terms that we've looked at here, and all of them are a part of the picture of redemption, God adopts us into His forever family. It speaks of God's providence that 
we can bring this promise into our life, all things work together for good. For those who love the Lord, for those who are called according to His purpose. And then peering ahead in verses 31 and 35, what shall we say then in verse 31? If God is for us, who in the world can be against us? So nothing can separate you, believer, from the love of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So these themes, these truths are within the context of a chapter that is emphasizing comfort and confidence in the Lord. Secondly, they're not all as quick as that. Secondly, two callings, a general call and an effectual call. I believe Scripture speaks to both of them. All right, prove it, okay? And by the way, I, I will go back to something I mentioned in our first session on this salvation start to finish. These messages are not about bringing in church history debates on this subject. If you notice, I haven't re referenced anybody. Those are important, but what I'm wanting to do in, this, in these sessions together is I'm wanting to make a biblical argument. I'm wanting us to look at these terms that are clearly expressed here and elsewhere. What do they mean? How should this form my view of God's grace in my life and all of us to wrestle with the angel? So two callings, a general calling and effectual calling. So he says here in verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called. Kaleo. So the general call, the church exists to make the call of the gospel known far and wide. The church exists to make known the good news of what God has done through Jesus Christ, and we're to go public with that gospel. You and I are to live on mission for the gospel. That God has sent His only Son, that He lived a perfectly righteous life, a sinless life, that He died a substitutionary death on the cross, a penalty-paying death on the cross, that He was placed in a tomb, and three days later He rose from the dead, and that God's message to you in real time on this morning is to turn from your sins and receive Jesus Christ by faith. That's the message of the gospel. In fact, Paul said in Acts 17 at Mars Hill at the, on the Areopagus, God has commanded men and women everywhere to repent and to believe in Jesus Christ as your only Savior. The last thing Jesus said to the disciples was what? Go into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel, making disciples of all and teaching them everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. That is the, those are the marching orders for every Christian and every church. So this is the general call. And we hear it in verses like Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, where Jesus says, come to me, all you who are uh, weary and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. All through his ministry, he said things like, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Some came, others didn't. In Matthew 22, those who are called but rejected God's invitation will, will be punished in this parable of the wedding feast. And it closes by saying, many are called, few are chosen. In Acts 7.37, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him do what? 
Come to me and drink. So Scripture speaks of a general call that should be the part of every church and every Christian. But what we have here in Romans 8, 29, and what we have elsewhere, and I'll make the case for that, is an effectual call, an internal call, a, a call that God uses in the, in the flow of, of gospel preaching and gospel sharing and the church involved in ministry that points to Christ, that God takes those efforts, all of them important, none of them lost, to bring about an effective call. Do you remember your salvation? It's not required that you remember the time and the date and the moment. I don't know, other than I was saved in the summer of 1985. Sometime in that summer, I, I, was, I was born again. This effectual call, do you remember when your heart was changed by the Lord? And you said, you know, I can't go that way anymore. I've got to follow Christ. The effectual call is an eternal, internal, internal, specific and active call. That is, it, is, it not only issues the invitation, it also provides the ability and willingness to respond positively. It's God's drawing to Himself when Jesus said in John 6.44, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. That means people can hear the gospel year in and year out, week in and week out. But it's not by works of righteousness that we do. It's God's grace. It seems to me, Pastor, that in this whole conversation, you keep bringing us back to it really is about God, isn't it? And that's not satisfying to a lot of people. We want to bring something to the table. And I would just warn us that yes, we are responsible. Yes, we must respond. But it's not by works of righteousness that we do. It's God's Spirit. And so maybe as you're thinking in your own heart this morning, what's your response to the gospel? What's your response to the Word of God? What's your response to serve the Lord? I remember uh, reading years ago, it was taken in, in Acts 16 where Paul enters into Philippi and he meets Lydia, our oldest daughter's Lydia, and uh, just uh, was impacted by this account many years ago in reading Acts 16. And Paul came into Philippi and he came to Lydia and it says the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. I read earlier 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and Paul is emphasizing to the Corinthians, a church that had many problems in chapter 1 verse 26, would invite you to turn there. He says to them and appeals to them, early in, in the first chapter, in chapter 1 verse 9, he says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the effective calling, and he picks up with that same theme in verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. God's calling. It's the same calling described in Ephesians 4.1, that we're to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. 
that God has called us to himself. Not many wise by the worldly standards, not many, not many were powerful, not many of noble birth. So as he's thinking of the Corinthian congregation, and I'm thinking of us, what boast do we have? What gifts can we leverage that would somehow justify that we're saved and others aren't? How come you're saved and your neighbor's not? How come you're saved and your sister's not? Your brother's not? Your parents are not? Ultimately, who's responsible for that? And Paul takes us through this paragraph and he concludes by saying, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The reason I'm saved is through Jesus Christ and Him alone. Yes, I believe. Yes, I repent. But God is the author and finisher of my salvation. I read this week of a great Bible teacher named Harry Ironside. And he told the story about an older Christian who was asked to give his testimony. And he told how God had sought him out and found him and how God had loved him and called him and saved him and delivered him and cleansed him and healed him in a great witness to the grace and power and the glory of God, but after the meeting, a rather legalistic brother took him aside and criticized his testimony as as a certain, um, uh, some like to do, and he said, I appreciated all that you said about what God did for you, but you didn't mention anything about your part in it. Salvation is really part us and part God, he said. You should have mentioned something about your part. To which the older Christian said, oh yes, he said, "I, I apologize for that, I'm really sorry. I really should have said something about my part. My part was running away. And his part was running after me until he caught me. We have all run away, but God has set his love on us, predestined us to become like his son, Jesus Christ called us to faith and repentance, justified us, yes, and has even glorified us so certain is that promise that he speaks of it in the past tense. May he alone be praised. Third thought this morning, God's call and his power to save. God's call and his power to save. I have warned throughout this study, beware of false scenarios in your mind as you're working through this. And I trust that many are working through this. And I'm continually challenged by it. But beware of developing false scenarios in your mind. Like what? Well, at the judgment that anyone would ever, ever be able to say, I wanted to be a Christian, but God wouldn't let me. That's a false scenario. That'll, that'll, never, that'll never happen. Jesus said, any who come after me, I will in no way cast them out. Another would be that God calls sinners kicking and screaming into into his kingdom. That's not a biblical picture either. I would only point again to the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road, ready to persecute and torment Christians, who's arrested in a moment's time and is transformed in a moment, who's called a chosen instrument of God. No one will be saved against their will. God doesn't bring people kicking and screaming. God brings people who have been regenerated and see the beauty of Jesus Christ is and say, how could I do anything else but follow you? I think of the illustration of Lazarus. 
in John 11 as being a, a powerful illustration of this calling. Lazarus had been dead for four days in the grave. He's a picture of every human being dead in our trespasses and sins, dead in body and soul, in grave cloths. And let's call to him. Lazarus, come on out. Let's pretend we're there with Mary and Martha and the Jews. And Lazarus, come out. Come out, Lazarus. Is he going to come out? Not, if, not in our power and certainly not in his. But the Lord Jesus Christ stands before that grave. And he previously had said to Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And Jesus goes to the grave and what does he do? Lazarus, come forth. What does Lazarus do? Lazarus comes forth. All of my effort on this point is to recover among the people of God the supernatural nature of your salvation. That's, that's all I'm vying for in your mind. Not based upon what I think, but really trying to reason from the Scriptures. My boast will be in the Lord. My hope is in Him alone. There was something Doug mentioned earlier in the offertory Scripture about really pursuing obedience in our life. So, you know, this talk about God's calling, God's salvation. You know, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Isn't that an amazing statement? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you'll never fail. And he's just mentioned all these wonderful virtues that should be in the Christian life. Be all the more diligent. So any view of election, predestination, or God's foreknowledge and salvation that somehow becomes an excuse for you to be slothful and lazy in your walk with Christ should concern you. Because we're commanded in Scripture, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. That means you are pursuing obedience to everything God has called you to do in His Word. All of it. Maybe you're saying, golly, I, I don't know what to think about this. Am I elect? And that is a biblical word, and we should not be ashamed of it. Elect, chosen, called. These are all, all statements and in, in vocabulary to describe every believer. Am I elect? Well, don't get bogged down in two bad poles. Don't get bogged down in passivity where you say it just doesn't matter. God's sovereign. It doesn't matter what I do or live. You know, I'm just a puppet on the string. That, 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 I'm not talking about that. That's, that's not what we're talking about. Uh, that God's sovereignty should never lead to a passivity. It should never lead us to think it just doesn't matter. If God's in charge, what difference does it make? It should not even be in our minds. And don't get troubled by, the, by this on the other side, and that is, how can I know I am elect? John Bunyan, who wrote the Pilgrim's Progress, I read this week, was tormented by that question. Was he ever good enough? And the answer lies in this, and it's this simple. 
How have I responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ? In other words, have I answered that call in repentance and obedience? If I've responded to the gospel call and repented of my sins and cried out to God for mercy and placed my soul's trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I have every reason to believe that his promises to me are yes, yes, yes. God doesn't want to breed lack of confidence, lack of assurance in his people. How have I responded to the gospel? Let's just do a little survey. How did Abraham respond to God's call? Remember, Abraham was a pagan in the land of Ur. And God called him. God called Abraham. Abraham wasn't in Ur thinking, you know, I I think I want to go over to um, the land of Palestine and start a new religion. No, God called Abraham. And he became the father of the faithful. He chose Abraham, and, and, and he went. In the book of Hebrews, it says that Abraham obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Now, that makes us all uncomfortable. But the writer of Hebrews is using that to underscore that he responded in faith. What about Moses growing up in Pharaoh's palace? He refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, rather embracing the suffering of God's people as God's call on his life. And what about the Apostle Paul once again on that Damascus road? His life changed. He became a hater. He says, this is a trustworthy statement, worthy of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I'm foremost of all. And what he was saying is, if God can save me, he can save anybody. What about you? How do you know if you're among the elect? Listen to the words of this faithful expositor. The only way you will ever know if you're among the elect is if you respond to the gospel. That Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. We're told in the Bible, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Do it. Then you can know that God has set his electing love on you and that having loved you, he will continue to love you and keep you to the end. You don't follow Jesus like somebody on Twitter where you can take or leave what they say or block them or whatever you want to do. No, when Jesus calls, it's all. You put down your arms of unbelief and you follow him. It's an overcoming grace. And I want you to know what a comfort this is. Lots of slack in the rope here on these, on these verses. Lots of, lots of, lots of patience with regard, my regard to anyone struggling with. I know. I have the same tensions you have to struggle with. But this is my hope. If you want to know the core of my hope in ministry... It would be this statement by Spurgeon. I do not come into this pulpit hoping that perhaps somebody will of his own free will turn to Christ. 
My hope is in another quarter. I hope that my master, my Lord, my Savior will lay hold of some of them and say, you are mine and you shall be mine and I claim you for myself. My hope arises from the freeness of grace and not from the freedom of our will if given a thousand millenniums would never come to him. God's work of grace can be seen in our lives in that despite our stubbornness and our rebellion, He doesn't give up on us. His grace is overcoming. All, all we give Him is pushback. God does not give up on us. His persistence wins the day. His love and mercy overcome our rebellious resistance. And our testimony becomes this. I sought the Lord and afterward I knew he moved my soul to seek him seeking me. It was not I that found, O Savior, true. No, I was found by thee. So this is how I want to close the message. It's appointed unto man once to die. And then the judgment. That's Hebrews 9.27. It's appointed unto man once to die, then the judgment. What's your hope on that judgment day? Well, I'm just kind of hoping it's not true. Well, sorry. That, that is the hope of modern man, believing that, you know, this life is all there is. That's a bad bet. If we believed in Gambling. It's appointed unto man once to die, then the judgment. What's your hope as you have an appointment at that judgment? The Bible holds up Jesus Christ. There'll never be another Savior. He's the only Savior you can know. There's one mediator, one go-between between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And what are you going to say on that judgment day? I just really wasn't interested. Whose fault is that? So, do you want a Savior? Do you feel that you need a Savior? Are you this morning conscious of your sin? Has the Holy Spirit taught you that you were lost? Are you this morning conscious that you have no hope in this world but Christ? Do you feel that you cannot save yourself? And that you cast the weight of your soul and your heart and your life upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, save me or I die. Friends, he died for you. Come to him by faith. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. It's the well-meant offer of the gospel. And I trust that God's powerful calling through it is reaching even to you. Even to you. Remember, this was written to Christians, young Christians, Romans, relatively, hadn't been around a long time, and Paul was presenting to them these truths for their comfort and for their confidence. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, as we come to the end of this service, I pray that the well-meant offer of the gospel and your dealings in eternity past your promises now and in the future as we view things would bear fruit. We pray, O oh God, that you would move in the closing moments of this service. Um, 
to do your appointed work in us today and that our hearts would be yielded to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I say something before we sing? And that is, uh, you know, when we have the Lord's Supper, we, we often say, you know, if you've not trusted in the Lord and you have not followed him in, in believer's baptism, which we believe is a first act of obedience for the Christian, then when the Lord's Supper trays come in integrity, would you just pass them by because the supper's for God's people? And uh, maybe the Lord's been working in your heart regarding baptism. You're a believer in Christ, but you've never followed through with believer's baptism. I want you to know the next two Sundays we're going to have baptisms. And I want you to know about it. And that you would come, become maybe really irritated with, I don't want to pass the plate anymore. I want to be in. I want in. So follow the Lord whether it be baptism or some other issue of obedience in your life. And may that be our heart and attitude as we sing this final song. Let's stand together as we sing.